Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Dan. We've got something different for you today. As we continue to report out some great new stories for January, we thought this would be a good opportunity to share with you the work of a colleague we admire. An Arm and a Leg is a podcast from Kaiser Health News and hosted by a reporter and colleague that I've known for a long time, Dan Weissman. Now in its fourth season, Arm and a Leg, like trade-offs, tells stories about our complicated healthcare system. Today, Dan tells us the story of one man going up against an insurance company to get life-saving treatment. It's a good story. We think you're going to enjoy it. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Matthew Lentz was an engineer at Boeing for decades, and not to stereotype engineers or anything, but he's not super demonstrative. Like, when I ask him to tell me the story of how he almost died, this is how he begins. When my merry-go-round started, I was 56 and I'm 72 now. Oh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. That's Matt's wife, Diana. Matt will tell you he would never have survived the merry-go-round without her. We'll let him get the story going. I worked for Boeing for over 34 years, and one day I had a pain in my lower right side. A pal of his that had his appendix burst, a real mess. Matt wanted to avoid that. But committed Boeing employee... It's not like he was going to clock out early. I sat there all day doing my job, and I took the bus home, and I decided I was going to go to the doctor. A few hours later, he's in the hospital getting his appendix out. It was messy, what they call perforated. Matt spent a couple days in intensive care recovering. And then he gets a visit from the surgeon. He asked for everybody else to leave the room except for Diana, and he says, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just sorry. And I looked at him for what? I said, did you leave a tool in there or something? You know, you forgot to take it out. I mean, cancer was the last thing in my mind. But there it was. Matthew was back in surgery next day, getting a third of his colon removed. Then there was chemo, two flavors. The second one left Matt with neuropathy, nerve damage. 15 years later, he still can't feel the bottom of his feet, except when they tingle or when the lower half of his body feels like it's on fire. But at least, the doctor said, they had cured his colon cancer. Except a year or so after the chemo ends, he's got more abdominal pain. And not only is the cancer back, it turns out it's not colon cancer. It's cancer of the appendix. So then we go about, well, what have you got, doc? What can you do with this? And he basically said, well... I don't have any other tricks. Uh, This is where we would normally refer you to hospice, basically leading out to checkout time. And we said, we don't really like that prognosis. I wasn't ready to be a widow yet. You know, I mean, that was the big thing. I'm going to. Are you ready now? (laughs) No, never, never. You're never ready. But, you know. They were young. They had two young grandkids and a lot to look forward to. They did some digging. 
and found there were other tricks, a very effective treatment, but nobody local, nobody in their insurance network was expert in it. And their insurance did not want to pay for the out-of-town, out-of-network expert surgeon. And that's the first time in my mind that I'd even thought of the possibility that an insurance company wouldn't pay for an operation. And it was maddening. I was mad. So Diana kept digging, especially in an online chat group for appendix cancer patients and their families. I see there's a woman who's posting who actually lives in Kirkland, Washington. And it looks like she certainly knows what she's talking about. And I need some advice and I need some help. That woman was Lori Todd. A couple years earlier, she had been exactly where Diana and Matthew found themselves. Same diagnosis, looking at the same treatment and getting told by her insurance that no way would they pay for it. She had gone to war, done a ton of research, and then written an appeal, dense with fact, closely argued, that made her insurance company change their minds. Since then, she had helped a few other people do the same thing. You can hear all about that part of Lori's story in our previous episode. Now she's done more than 200 appeals. She says she almost never loses. Matthew and Diana's case was a big one for her. She learned some big lessons about how insurance actually works that she's been applying ever since. Diana and Matthew had a hearing. Lori was there too. And afterwards she told him, this scene's going to be in the movie. We've got that scene for you and a bunch of lessons. So get ready. This is going to be pretty good. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about why healthcare costs so freaking much and what we can maybe do about it. I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter and I like a challenge. So my job on this show is to take one of the most raging, terrifying, depressing parts of American life and bring you a show that's entertaining, empowering, and useful. Lori Todd heard from Diana and Matthew and she agreed to help them. She started by doing something you would never put in a movie, reading their benefits book. And she came across some unfamiliar language. I said, this is a self-funded plan, administrator, la la. And I said, wait a minute, what is that? Yeah, what's a self-funded plan? Lori went down the rabbit hole on Google, and here's what she found. If you're in a self-funded plan... The insurer is no longer insuring you. They aren't actually paying for your medical treatments. In a self-funded plan, the employer pays for all your medical treatments. And because the employer is financially at risk, the employer is the final decision maker on all your medical treatments. I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, I know, right? We spent part of the last couple episodes just getting into this piece of weirdness. For most people who get their insurance from work, this is the deal. The employer is the insurer. She brings this finding back to Matthew and Diana. And this time, it's Matthew who's furious at Boeing. What? You won't cover it after I worked for you for 34 years? You know, since he was in his early 20s, and now he's a grandpa. I worked buku millions of uh, <laughs> voluntary overtime, and you're going to sit there and tell me that after all this time, my career, in your opinion, doesn't count for squat? I find that uh, abominable. How's that for a word? It's also, honestly, kind of intimidating for Lori. She's been up against insurance companies more than half a dozen times by now. She's used to winning with them. But this is something different. This is Matthew's employer, and that employer is Boeing. Pretty big opponent. You know the Fortune 500? That year, Boeing was number 28. By this time, Matthew's surgery is coming right up. Lori drums up a written appeal, gets denied. There is one avenue left, an in-person hearing with 
Boeing VPs at the table, along with insurance company executives. There'll be lawyers on speakerphone. This is a ginormous situation, mushrooming into an even bigger one. And the hearing is in like two days. Surgery is supposed to happen the following week. Lori isn't sure she's actually up for it. At this point, she's doing all these appeals for free. Nobody's paying her anything, but she can't say no. She writes two speeches, one for Diana and one for herself. And I said, I'm going to be the secret weapon. Night before the hearing, she emails Diana her speech. Diana prints it out, reads it over, goes to bed, and goes to work in the morning. Yeah, she and Matthew are both going to work the day of the hearing, just taking care of business. Diana practices the speech one time at a park near her job. I did my presentation to the trees and uh, said my prayers and said, okay, you know, I'm going to speak and out's going to come what they need to hear. I came back to our house and, you know, freshened up. Lori showed up and away we went. It was just boom, boom. It was the first time they'd met Lori in person. We had a good coach and this was fourth quarter <laughs> and, and five minutes left. <laughs> and we sat down uh, at the table uh, kind of synchronizing watches and whatnot. And Matthew piped up and he said, wait a minute, I'm the patient. Do I get to say something too? <laughs> I, and I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I said, but Matthew, you're an engineer and I want you to talk like an engineer. I said, no emotion, no angry, no pissed off. I said, just state your case and get out. Can you do that? Did I do it? He said, yeah. <laughs> You did absolutely, you did beautifully. Okay, that's getting ahead of ourselves. After the break, we're basically going to take you inside that conference room because those speeches Lori Todd wrote for herself and for Diana, she still has them. And we will be hearing her and Diana read aloud from them for the first time since that day. That's right after this. More from Dan Weissman and Armin Oleg in a minute. You're listening to Tradeoffs. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode... Whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Today's episode comes courtesy of the team at Arm and a Leg. Host Dan Weissman picks up the story. Diana, Matthew, and Lori drive together to the hearing at the insurance company headquarters. 
And it was like a, a gleaming three-story spaceship out there. And I said, that, look at that. That's where your monthly premiums are going. They get name tags and they get told, you wait here. We'll call for you when we're ready. Finally, a gal came and ushered us up to the top floor. And we walked up to these two massive doors, which then swung open. And we looked in on the biggest, hugest conference table you've ever seen in your life. And all these women dressed in business attire staring at us like a herd of deer. They really didn't say much. They just said, okay, kind of like the floor is yours. Matthew was up first. Both Lori and I, we knew our speeches, but we had absolutely no idea what Matthew was going to say, when he was going to say it. I winged it. (laughs) (laughs) I just spoke from the heart and uh, what it was like to be denied and what it was like to be just a pawn in a big game. He called the company's decision extremely cruel. He'd put in 34 years. He said this did not seem like a great way to get and keep loyal workers. Lori remembers he wrapped up by saying he just wanted to be able to retire, ride his bike, tend his garden, and see his grandkids grow up. Matthew leading it off was powerful. What he shared really set the tone for Lori in my speeches. Diana talked for 15 minutes, and she just laid out all the facts. Matthew was diagnosed with appendix cancer in August of 2005. Including the misdiagnosis. Appendix cancer is not colon cancer, and it should absolutely not be treated like colon cancer. Matthew underwent six grueling months of chemotherapy. And the further misdiagnosis later, when Matthew's cancer came back and he started feeling lousy again. Enterologist told Matthew that it was all in his head, and so he prescribed him an antidepressant building the case. We tried things your way. And when we found the treatment that would work, you denied it, saying it was investigational. I will prove that this assertion is not supported by facts. And that Blue Cross Blue Shield, which Matthew's plan is part of, has paid for this exact procedure before from out-of-network docs. All that we ask is the same consideration and coverage which has been given to other Blue Cross Blue Shield members. But Blue Cross Blue Shield is a family of companies. Had this one in Washington State called Regents ever paid for it? Diana had put that question to an online support group. Within an hour, I received a reply. We heard from the family of Jennifer. Jennifer has Matthew's exact same diagnosis and his exact same insurer, Boeing's self-funded plan run by Regents Blue Cross. I was shocked. Regents had told me they had never paid for this before. And yet here we are. We just found someone that you currently are paying for. And if you didn't know you're paying for this, I suggest you look through your files. At this point, Diana recalls the woman who was chairing the meeting started doing exactly that. She starts thumbing through every single paper she had. She was looking to the person to her right. She was looking at the person to her left. I thought, okay, we've got him on the run there. Diana wasn't done. Jennifer had waited too long, and she was unlikely to live. And she was spending months in the hospital, racking up bills that were way more than this surgery, bills that her insurance, Matthew's insurance, Boeing, would pay. Diana broke down all the numbers, how much Matthew's surgery would cost, the fact that Blue Cross had a contract with the hospital, so the surgeon's fee was just about the only issue, financially speaking. 
I regret the urgency of the timing, but we have been consistently and continuously delayed ever since we first requested this treatment over a month ago. We need to have this process completed by the close of business tomorrow, as Matthew scheduled in Washington, D.C., just six days from now. Thank you very much for your attention and consideration of our case. And then up pipes Lori Todd, the secret weapon. She had been sitting there unannounced, looking like a friend who tagged along to give moral support. I believe that I have something to add to this discussion. I was diagnosed with appendix cancer in March 2005. Lori had the same diagnosis as Matthew. She got the same treatment he was seeking from the same doctor, even though her insurance company initially hadn't wanted to pay for it. If I had done what my insurer told me to do, I would be in the nursing home by now with no stomach, no colon, on intravenous nutrition, dying a hideous and protracted death from appendix cancer. But here she was, looking pretty healthy. I run a mile a day. I see no doctors. I take no medications. I'm fine. She also said the end-of-life care she would have needed, frequent doctor visits, long hospital stays, would have cost a ton more than her surgery. I figure I've saved my insurer at least $1.5 million by now. They should give me a medal. She's like, we all want a good outcome here, and it also happens to be cost-effective. I moved heaven and earth to save one precious life, my own. And I will do the same for Matthew, because his life is as precious as mine. Thank you. Boom. Then came the part Diana had been dreading. Time for the lawyers to ask questions. Lawyers at the table, lawyers on the phone from Idaho, from Oregon. So there were no questions at the board table, but so then she starts asking, like, Oregon, do you have questions? Idaho, do you have questions? I mean, there was a pause. There was none. They had no questions. And then also looking around as I was actually even giving this speech, I saw some of the ladies there having tears in their eyes. And I thought, you know what? We're getting to them. We're getting to their hearts. And they really were listening. Then afterwards, when we got up to leave, a number of them came up, gave Matthew a hug. They gave me a hug. And, um, you know, I thought, wow, I think something powerful has just happened here. They didn't get an answer right away, of course. They had said they needed one by close of business the following day. And that's when it came. The answer was yes. In the 14 years since then, Lori Todd has gone on to help hundreds of other people with similar appeals. Still, she finds it emotional to relive this particular day. It doesn't get any more real than that, what we did. It's real. And now we get to feel it again from the perspective of 14 years later. Yeah, it's what we hoped and dreamed for 14 years ago. This is the moment that we were looking forward to, that we could share our story, that we could, you know, tell people what what we went through. And the outcome could have been so different. And then you fast forward to say, look at these 14 years that we've gotten. It's just really a blessing. Matthew is clear. He owes his life to Diana for finding the treatment, for finding Lori. I was in no shape to do this kind of internet searches. I was kind of like a wimp on the couch. 14 years later, he's got the things he told those Boeing executives he wanted, a chance to work his garden, ride his bike. With the neuropathy, I still ride bike, not near as often. I still uh, have a John Deere. I try to maintain five acres and still uh, 
have grandchildren to take care of. and One is a junior in college, and the other one's learning how to drive a car. I've been waiting to get to the golden years. I haven't figured out what age that is, because I haven't seen the gold yet. <laughs> out, out in that five acres somewhere. There's gold out there somewhere. Yeah. Years after his surgery, Matthew still sees an oncologist every once in a while, just to check. So far, so good. No new cancer. He says on a recent visit, he asked the doc a pointed question. I was curious, like, how many patients have you had with this variety of cancer? And he says, all 30, maybe 30. And I says, well, out of that 30, how are they all doing? And he says, well, they're all dead except for you. And from the way that doctor answered Matthew and Diana's next question, it sounded like none of those 30 people had gotten the treatment Matthew got from a surgeon who specializes in it. So that conversation is the ultimate vindication of the fight that Matthew and Diana and Lori undertook. It's a stark reminder of how high the stakes were. And it illustrates the lessons that they all took away. You have to fight for your own life. You can't rely on the system to watch out for you important aspect that other people need to learn is right. doctor tells you something right. doesn't make it in the gospel. Matthew's doctors told him at the beginning that he had colon cancer when he didn't. When his cancer came back, they told him it was in his head, prescribed him antidepressants. The testimony Lori Todd wrote for Diana to give in that hearing unpacked a lot of medical mistakes. And that is one part of Lori's method, document that you've tried things their way and you've done your own homework. You heard how emotional those appeals were, but what you might not have noticed was how carefully structured the argument was. Diana's testimony was primarily a recitation of facts, carefully arranged to make a point. If you caught our last episode, you might remember hearing Lori Todd say this. Every insurance appeal is a contractual dispute. And one important underpinning of her method is you are illustrating to the other side what your argument would sound like if this ever went to court. There's no law that says any employer has to pay for your kid's brain surgery. And so we're out in the Wild West here. But the only thing they're somewhat afraid of is liability. Like if they said no to that brain surgery and your kid died and there's this whole record where they denied treatment after you'd made this kind of case. She says hinting at what that lawsuit would look like. That is what gets results. And you have to be very subtle about how you hint at it, obviously. Subtle because the other side, whether it's your insurance company or your employer, has access to a lot of lawyers. You're not trying to pick a fight until you know exactly how you plan to win it. Look, Lori Todd's strategies fill two whole books. She's built them by winning hundreds of these cases. And even though I hope most of us will not be in the kinds of extreme fights that she takes on, her insights are valuable for all of us. I hope we'll hear from her again and again. For now, that's it for this episode of An Arm and a Leg. You can listen to the show wherever you get podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Arm and a Leg Show. You can find us on Facebook, too, by searching Arm and a Leg Show. And you can see all our episodes and sign up for our newsletter at armandalegshow.com. Hope to catch you soon. Till then, take care of yourself. Special thanks to our friends at Arm and a Leg for this week's episode, hosted and reported by Dan Weissman. For more stories like this, subscribe to Arm and a Leg in all the typical places. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Offs. 
For years, healthcare has been slow to invest in cybersecurity, leaving it vulnerable to attacks. We provide chemotherapy for cancer patients, and they cannot get their treatment right now, and that is not good. Healthcare leaders are finally waking up to what's at risk. I think the industry is realizing that cybersecurity really truly does equal a threat to patient safety. How healthcare is responding, what took so long, and a look inside a ransomware negotiation. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs and all the other episodes you've heard from us this year, we ask that you support this podcast with a tax deductible year end gift at our website, tradeoffs.org. Choose the amount that's right for you five bucks a month to $500. Your support makes journalism like this possible. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Andrea Perdomo, Chief of Strategy and Operations, Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Nora Tahiri, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Senior Health Policy Editor Sarah Thomas, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman. Special thanks to the team at Arm and a Leg for this week's episode Dan Weissman, Emily Pisacreta, Marion Wang, Daisy Rosario, Adam Raimunda, and Dave Weiner. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.